Well, good morning. All right, how many of you are Tennessee fans? Don't be ashamed. Lift your hand up. All right, we're going to have a time of prayer after the service. Uh, Alabama fans and Vandy fans will come and pray for you. <laughs> we'll have a good time. But um, yeah, I mean, if you know who I am, I don't watch football. <laughs> I'm a hockey fan. But yesterday I did catch some of that. Uh, so I'm sorry, sorry for all of you who had to endure through that. But today we're not going to be talking about football, uh, but we are going to be talking about this sense of Southern Christianity, uh, this sense of cultural Christianity and how that differs from biblical Christianity. Uh, because sometimes, uh, maybe growing up, if you're like, oh, I grew up always going to church and Saturday we watched football and Sunday we went to church. And I mean, that's just how life was like. Uh, sometimes we mix up Americana and cultural our, our, our culture and good old, you know, apple pie and Thanksgiving with Christianity. And sometimes it works, and other times it's actually, uh, lies have actually seeped into our understanding of who Jesus is and our understanding of what it means to be a follower of Christ. So we're going to be comparing that today. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, we're going to be looking through Luke chapter 6. All right, so we're going to be starting at verse 37, and, and in Luke chapter 36, uh, not 36, Luke 6, starting from verse 37, we're going to be finishing out our series on the red letters of Jesus today. But before we start reading, I wanted to share a few phrases with you. Let's get the first one on the screen. Money, let's see what it is. Money is the root of all evil. How many of you have heard this before? Okay, is it biblical? No, okay, so how many of you know where the actual correct passage is? And this is not Jeopardy, I'm just curious. How many of you know 1 Timothy 6.10? So it says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Not money, right, but it's the love of money. How many of you heard growing up this phrase rather than the biblical one? Right? Here's the next one. For I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Where is this one from? Yeah, Jeremiah 29, 11. How many of you have a nice poster of this or, you know, a plaque? How many of you have that? Yeah, okay, a few of you. Yeah, it's one of those verses that's just, it's just, it's, it's kind of like apple pie, right? It's like, it's, you know, it's like, it's, it's one of those verses that we just love, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. So is it biblical? Yes. yes. Yeah, it is. I'm, I, you know, I'm not trying to trick you. Well, actually, maybe it does feel like I'm trying to trick you. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, this is biblical. The problem is we often take it out of context, don't we? Right? We say, hey, whenever we, and this is what we do, right? Whenever we're going through trials... We say, oh, this trial is not from the Lord. Why? Because God, you know, I know the plans I have for you, right? Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. And if God's plans for me is to, for me to prosper and for him not to harm me, then obviously this trial is not from God. So we pray it away in Jesus' name, right? Now, if you look at other parts of the scripture, we know how important trials are to our faith and how normative is normative it is to our faith as well. Well, how's, uh, here's the next one. Judge not, and I had to bring out the old King James, right? Judge not and ye shall not be judged. Right, how many of you have heard this one? Okay, this, uh, anyone know where this is from? 
Luke, yeah, Luke 6. It's the very first verse we're going to be looking at today. Is it biblical? Yeah, it is. But this is actually one of the most famous verses, even more than the Jeremiah 29 one, that we often take out of context. And it's one of the favorite verses of both Christians and non-Christians alike. Right? It is. Judge not and you shall not be judged. Right? We, we hear this and what do we hear? What's the word that starts with T that we often hear? Turkey. <laughs> yeah. I know what's on your mind, right? Yeah. Tolerance. Right? Yeah. It's tolerance. Right? We, we think tolerance. I mean, isn't that a virtue in our culture right now? Right? Isn't this? Isn't this? And, and then we, we take this out of context and we're like, hey, even Jesus said, don't judge. Right? So why should we judge? We're like, no one should judge. We are not the judge. So what we then say is, oh, you can believe what you want to believe, and I'll believe what I want to believe, unless you start criticizing my beliefs, lifestyles, and opinions, and then I'll start judging you. Right? Being in the South, there's this general aura or understanding of the Bible and of Christianity. And here's the thing. I mean, this, if you grew up here in Middle Tennessee... Uh, you know, I mean, you, you might not be aware that this is not normal, right? To drive to church and pass other churches to drive to your church is not a normal thing, right? And it's not like this is the only vibrant and healthy church in Mount Juliet. In many cities across this country and around the world, there may be one Bible-preaching, healthy, growing church in a city, or maybe a few. Here in Mount Juliet, we have tons. In Nashville, we have so many Right, we have so many, and that is not normal, right? It's not, it's not normal to talk to your neighbors and realize that a lot of them go to church. I mean, that's what shocked me the most, that I met all my neighbors and they all went to church. I was like, how does this, I grew up, literally, I grew up in Vancouver, there was like, when I met another Christian outside of our church, it was like, it was like the most weird, weirdest thing in the, in the world. Like, it was like, wait, you, you go to church as well? Like, okay, how, what church do you go to? Like, how serious are you? And then, it, you know, the percentage of people who were actually serious about their faith even went down. Like, seriously, it was, it was the craziest thing that was like to think about living in a neighborhood where all of my neighbors were Christian was just a foreign concept for me. And then to move down here and everyone say they are, right? Maybe you, maybe you know this. That just because someone goes to church and says they're a Christian doesn't mean they're actually a follower of Christ. So as a result, this sense of cultural Southern Christianity pervades our culture here, right? It pervades maybe your schools. It pervades maybe your workplaces and your communities. So what we're going to be talking about is as we look through this passage and as we look through it verse by verse and finish out this series, we're going to be looking at the difference between cultural Christians and real Christians. So let's put on our Bible lenses, not our cultural lenses, as we go uh, verse by verse through this passage and see how uh, mistakenly sometimes we look at these verses and how they actually are, right? So here's our first point. It's okay to judge. It's okay to judge. Let's look at Luke 6, 37 to 38. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it'll be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. 
for with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Now, as I mentioned earlier, doesn't our culture look down on judgment, right? Judge not and ye shall not be judged. What our culture loves first and foremost is tolerance and love, right? That we should, uh, that we should love one another, that we should forgive one another, that we should, be, you know, we should not talk about conflict, right? Even if I don't want to forgive you, I'm not really going to be talking about it. Right? So what we think here is that the only people who should be judged are those who are doing the judging because our culture says truth is relative. And doesn't this have a certain appeal? Right? I stay in my lane, you stay in your lane. Let's not rock the boat. Even if you're living in a way that I don't really approve of, I, you know, I don't really want to bring it up because it's going to affect our relationship. But that's not what Jesus is saying here. He's not saying stick to your own lane when he says, do not judge and you will not be judged. He's not telling us to mind our own business and keep to ourselves. Rather, he's saying that we need to approach those around us with a posture of generosity, especially when it comes to conflict. As followers of Christ, we're not to run away from conflict, but we need to approach it, especially when a brother or sister in Christ is living a life that is not following the ways of our Lord, we need to approach them, not with a blind, now we don't need to turn a blind eye away. We need to approach them with a posture of generosity. Here's the thing. I only discipline my kids because I love them, right? I wish I didn't have to. In fact, I hate disciplining my kids, right? I hate getting angry. I hate that, but I do it because I love them. Proverbs thirteen twenty four says, the one who will not use the rod hates his son, but the one who loves him disciplines him diligently. So I wish, honestly, I could let things slide. I mean, who cares that, you know, my kid went into our pantry and, you know, one of our kids went into our pantry and stole a piece of candy, right? Who cares, right? It's candy. Like it's, it's I mean, seriously, right? It's just a piece of candy. I mean, we are the ones who took them trick-or-treating. <laughs> like, if we were so anti-candy, we would not participate in Halloween. But I, I mean, we, Christina and I dressed up for Halloween too, right? I mean, it's like, so we are not anti-candy. So, but why, why did I get so upset and why did I have to discipline one of my kids because they stole a piece of candy? I mean, is that what a loving person, a loving parent does? If, if I just let it slip, you know, if I just let it slide and I didn't discipline her, is that what a loving parent would do? No, that's what a lazy parent does. Right? When you choose not to discipline your kids, that's laziness, it's not love. Parents discipline their kids, we do that because we know that while today it might be a piece of candy from the pantry, tomorrow it might be lipstick from Target. Right? It might be cheating on exams later on, and it might be stealing at work. Right? Jesus here isn't saying, stick to your own lane, mind your own business, and don't judge, don't condemn, and don't, you know, don't worry about those who have wronged you. you know, that's not what he's saying here. He's saying, do it, judge with grace and mercy for, and get this, this is really important, it's, a, it's the last po- portion of verse 38, because for with the measure you use, it'll be measured back to you. Yes, judge, but for the, for the, with the measure you use, it'll be measured 
back to you. So uh, wouldn't you rather, here's the thing, wouldn't you rather tell others of, um, here, actually, let me flip it. Wouldn't you rather others tell you of your mistakes so that you can fix them? I mean, yeah, it doesn't sound good. It doesn't feel good when someone says, you know, you did something wrong. Or, but wouldn't you ultimately rather them tell you? I mean, there's a reason they're called blind spots, right? If we had no blind spots, we could fix ourselves. But there's a lot of aspects of our, cult, of our, of our character and of our life that we just cannot see. So wouldn't you rather your friends tell you or your parents or others tell you, even though it hurts at the beginning, wouldn't you rather them tell you so that you can work on it rather than just letting your life, rather than them just letting you live your life in a reckless manner? Well, this is what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, in the same way that you help others, they will in turn help you. So if you don't help others and if you mind your own business and you don't correct and help and nudge and encourage others toward Christ, especially when they've strayed away from Christ, then they're not likely going to help you. And who's the better off for that? So judge, that's actually what it's saying here. Judge, but do it with grace and mercy. For with the measure that you use, it'll be measured back to you. Point number two, don't follow others blindly. Don't follow others blindly. In Luke 6, let's continue reading verse 39 and 40. He also told them a parable. Can the blind guide the blind? Won't they both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. Now, the world tells us that we can watch whatever we want, right? We can read whatever we want. We can listen to whatever we want. We can be friends with whomever we want. But ultimately, we are the masters of our own destiny. We can compartmentalize what we've watched, what we've read, what we've fed ourselves with, right? Our world says, hey, you are the master of your own destiny and your culture. And you can control all of this, right? And you can watch and do whatever you want. But your actions, I mean, you, you just control that. It doesn't matter. What you intake doesn't really affect what you, what you do, right? I mean, isn't that what our world tells us? Isn't that the lie that the world tells us? The reality is that we teach the way that we've been taught, right? We lead the way that we've been led. We relationship the way we've seen relationships. We parent the way that we've been parented unless we consciously do so otherwise. I remember years ago, uh, when, when Victoria was just a, a, a little, when she was little, our eldest, she wasn't listening to me and, and she wasn't coming when I asked her to come. So uh, I, I started counting down from five, right? And it was like five, four, and she wasn't doing anything, right? Three, it's like, Victoria, if you, if you don't come by zero, you know, you, 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 don't, you don't even want, I didn't know what I was gonna do. I was like, you don't even wanna know what's going to happen when I count down to zero? Because it's going to be bad, right? It's going to be really bad. So you better come, right? Two, one. It's been like 30 seconds already, right? Half. And then she came. I was like, hey, you know, I, was, I looked at Christina. I was like, hey, you know, because she was right beside me. I was like, see, you know, best parent of the year award. I didn't get angry. I didn't discipline her. She came in the five seconds, not really in the five seconds, but you know, it kind of in the five seconds. And then I was like, I was all good. Right. And I remember, uh, Christina looked at me and she did it. She, her background social work. So as a true, uh, social worker counselor, she looked at me and she was like, did you think that was a good idea? 
Uh, and husbands, uh, yeah, you know there's sometimes your wife asks you a question, but there's not, it's not really a question, right? It's a rhetorical question where there's only one right answer. Whether you know the answer or not, there's really only one right answer. And I was like, no. Yeah, no. Yeah, it wasn't a good idea. Yeah, I know. I don't know why I did it. It was just probably not a good idea. And she was like, so why? And I was like, don't social work me, right? I was like, I don't want to know why I think the way I think or who, I don't, I don't want to reflect back on my childhood and think back to why I parent the way I, I just want to live my life the way I live, right? I, I, just, I just thought counting down from five was a good idea, so I did it. And I was like, I don't want to think about this. And she's like, no, 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 think about it, right? It's like, why did you really count down from five? So I started thinking through it, and I remember back to when I was a kid, my mom would, uh, she would grate carrot juice for us. Well, sorry, not us. I have three older sisters. She would grate carrot juice for me, uh, not for my older sisters. And she would actually guilt me saying, hey, your sisters would love me to grate carrot juice for them, but they can do it themselves, right? But I'm grating this carrot juice for you and only you. And it wasn't like with an apple. It wasn't with a lime. It wasn't with lemon or anything to sweeten it up or sugar. It was just pure 100% carrot juice. Like when you drink coffee, like getting a latte, foam is a good thing. Carrot foam is not the same (laughs) as coffee foam, right? So literally there'd be a head of foam on my 100% carrot juice, and I would hear the juicer going on, and to this day, I still get shivers every time I hear a, a juicer go on. And, and she, would, I, she would finish, and she would walk up the stairs, and she would, give, she would make me, she would force me to drink this carrot juice. So every time I heard the grater go on, the juicer go on, I always came up with an excuse, right? And I tried a lot of different excuses. So, so this time, for you football fans, you might, you're, you're probably going to like this one. Eventually, not initially, but eventually what I did, I said... Okay, uh, I, started, I started brushing my teeth. And it was like 7 o'clock or something. So I started brushing my teeth. And, and uh, I, in my mind, I was like, okay, okay, when my mom comes up, I'm going to say, hey, mom, you know, enamel is not one of those things you can, like, regenerate or restore. I know there's toothpaste out there that says enamel building, but it's, it's probably all a gimmick, right? I mean, enamel is enamel. And so, so you know, I, I brushed my teeth because I was like, hey, mom, if I drink this, then I'm going to have to brush my teeth again. Right, if I brush my teeth again, then you have to pay more dental bills, right? And like we, I mean, I didn't, I didn't ever go to a real dentist until until I was like 18. We went to the dental school because it was cheap. So I literally thought a cleaning took three hours until I was 18, to the point where I went to a real dentist and it took 30 minutes. The dentist didn't even do it, right? It was like the hygienist. And it took 30 minutes. And I was like, what's going on here? Like, this is like, this is, what a sham. I'm never coming back to this dentist again because that's what it was for me. So that's, I was like, mom, you don't want to spend more bills. I know money's tight. So I'm going to, you know, I'm going to brush my teeth and I'll just drink it tomorrow, right? Or, or something like that. And she's like, no, she didn't believe it. So she, she was walking up the stairs. I was rehearsing. She put down, uh, she put down the juice right here. And you guys remember Jurassic Park? Like literally, you know, I heard it like, I heard it shaking, right? That's what I was thinking as she was walking up the stairs. And then eventually she came and she put the juice down on the counter and it was a little hallway. And I was like, she's like, drink it. And I was like, no. And she's like, yes, drink it. I was like, no, I'm not going to drink it. I was like, yes, you're going to drink it. I was like, no, I'm not going to drink it. And then I went like this. I did a deke and I went under her arm. 
right? And I ran to my room and closed the door. And then she started counting down from five. All of that is what came to mind when Christina asked me, why did you count down from five? <laughs> like I was having, you know, on TV, it was like one of those flashbacks, like time stood still. There's probably a commercial break in the middle of it all. Right? And I literally, that's what I thought. So she was like, do you think that was good? I was like, no, I actually hated that. Like, I hated it. And my mom did what I did. Like, I did what my mom did. Like, she counted down from five, and she'd do like one and three quarters and half and a quarter because they wouldn't come. And that's why I did it. Man, we become like our teachers that we follow. We parent the way that we've been parented. We relationship the way that we've seen relationships. We teach the way that we've been taught. We live the way that we are seeing life being lived by our friends, by those we're hanging around with. To think that the people we hang around with don't affect us and the choices that they make, to think that we can just compartmentalize and be like, yeah, I know they're living in all these sketchy ways that I wouldn't live or, or they're, living, they're, they're struggling with this. And I just... I, I mean, to think that we could compartmentalize that off, just take the good and ignore the bad when we are with them every single day, I mean, that's foolish. It's foolish. So who are you following? Right, that's what Jesus is talking about here in verse 39 and 40. Who are you following? Are you following those who follow Jesus? Are you hanging around with those who are following Jesus? Now, here's the thing. I'm not saying ditch your non-Christian friends. I'm not saying don't hang out. I mean, we have neighbors that we are intentionally praying for, connecting with, and, and that who do, do not know Jesus Christ, right? And we are, but what we are doing as we are connecting with them, we are making sure that as we build relationships with them, that we are pouring more into them, that we are spending time in an intentional manner praying for them, not mindlessly just passing, you know, shooting the breeze and watching the game together. But when we spend time, we're intentional. We're praying for them. Praying before we meet them, while we're with them, after. You know, what does it look like? Last thing I would want is for you to say, I'm not going to spend time with anyone who is not a Christian. Well, that's like the opposite of what I want you to do. In fact, if all you have is Christian friends, spend more time with non-Christians but make sure you're praying with them. You're praying for them. You might actually be the only person who is actually praying for them. You might be the only person who has a genuine relationship with Christ. Well, engage in spiritual warfare on their behalf, right? Pray for them, love them, and allow God to do a work in their hearts, right? Point three, start with yourself but don't live for yourself, right? In Luke 6, 41, we read this. Why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eyes, but don't notice the beam of wood in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the splinter that is in your eye when you yourself don't see the beam of wood in your eye? Hypocrite, first take the beam of wood out of your eye, and then you'll see clearly to take out the splinter in your brother's eye. The lie that the enemy tells us is that we only need to worry about ourselves. 
The lie that the enemy tells us is that our actions only affect us. So here's how the narrative goes. If we're upset with our church, we can just leave. Why? Because it's ultimately our decision, right? I mean, us leaving this church, it's only going to affect us, isn't it? And if I'm not satisfied with my marriage anymore, I can just look for someone else that's satisfied, that, that satisfies me because ultimately it's my life, right? The other person's a grown-up. They can take care of my, themselves. But I need to make decisions for me. I need to take care of me, right? It's that, it's that lie. What, what is that saying? You take care of you? What is that saying that, you know what I'm talking, have you, have you heard this? That ultimately life is just about you. You just take care of yourself. And if I don't feel like going into work, I can just call in sick, right? I mean, yeah, I put in all this overtime. I mean, people, the world's not going to stop. It's my life, right? Think about those three situations. Is it real? Do, 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 do your decisions actually only affect you in those three situations? Your actions affect everyone around you. And here's the lie of the enemy. Your personal sin is hardly personal. Your personal sin that you think is only you, that you are trying to hide from other people, that you are, it's just between you and yeah, you need to ask God for forgiveness, but really it's just you and yourself and your personal sin. Here's the thing, it affects everyone around you. And in the same way that we become like those we follow, do you know and do you recognize that others are following you? Or think about this. If you have a sibling, a younger sibling, do you know that they're likely looking up to you? Yeah, maybe not when you get into a fight with them. <laughs> but imperceptibly, they're actually looking up to you and the way that you're living is affecting their life and affecting their choices. Parents, do you have children? Do they ever annoy you? They probably learned it from you. <laughs> That's how it works. So start with yourself, but don't live for yourself. Think about it like this. When you're, last time you were on a plane, the flight attendant, you know, they do the whole oxygen mask thing and they're like, hey, make sure that if this, if you ever need to use this, put it on yourself before you put it on others, right? And why is that? Because the oxygen is low and you're trying to put the oxygen mask on all your kids and help those around you who can't do it without first doing it to yourself, what's gonna happen? You're gonna pass out. <laughs> and then what? You have to put it on yourself first because that's the only way that you can help others. So when you look at verse 41, when you look at verse 42, to think that personal sin only affects you and it doesn't affect those around you is a lie that many of us believe and that many of us need a, a good, healthy reminder of. In verse 43 to 45, we see our next point, which is you can't fake it till you make it. Verse 43 says this, a good tree doesn't produce bad fruit. On the other hand, a bad tree doesn't produce good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. Figs aren't gathered from thorn bushes or grapes picked from a bramble bush. A good person produces good out of the good stored up in his heart. An evil person produces evil out of the evil stored up in his heart. For his mouth speaks from the overflow of his heart. Who knows how to put on a show here? All right. 
I mean, especially during holidays, who knows how to pretend everything is okay? Or especially for the sake of your kids, maybe for the sake of the family. You know, we just put on a show for a few days. Anyone do that this past week of Thanksgiving? <laughs> you know, don't put your hand up, especially if you came with your family here. <laughs> right, in situations like this, we fake it, right? And, we, and most of us know how to fake it. Most of us know how to do that. Uh, but here's the thing, it only works for a, a brief moment of time, right? If those relatives or those friends or those family members that you only get together with a few times a year or here or there, you know, everything is good because you're just faking it because you're just trying to make sure that there's not a big fight that breaks out. I mean, it works for a brief moment of time when you only see them occasionally. But what if they moved into your town? What if they moved into the house right next door to you? Would you still be able to do that? Would you still be able to keep up that act? Because that's what Jesus is saying here in these verses. Right? He's saying, you know, as he talks about a good tree uh, doesn't produce bad fruit and a bad tree doesn't produce good fruit. And as he talks about this in these few verses, he's saying that you can't fake it till you make it as it relates to character and who you truly are. Because who you are on the inside will always come out. All you have to do is give it enough time. All you have to do is give it enough pressure and who you are on the inside will eventually come out. So you can't fake it till you make it. When we look at the next few verses in 46 to 49, uh, we see in our last point that foundations matter. Right, that foundations matter. So in verse 46, we see this. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things I say? I'll show you what someone is like who comes to me, hears my words and acts on them. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. When the flood came, the river crashed against that house and couldn't shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears and does not act is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The river crashed against it and immediately it collapsed and the destruction of that house was great. I'm gonna list some names up here uh, and I want you to see if you can notice the difference in each of the pairings, all right? So Abel and Cain, all right, let's just go one at a time. Jacob and Esau, Joseph and his brothers, Moses and Pharaoh, Joshua and the spies, Samson and Delilah, David and Saul, Jonathan and Saul, Elijah and Ahab, Esther and Naaman, Peter and Judas. For those of you who are familiar, uh, in fact, if you've uh, been with us at, at, at our church for the last few years, the last couple of years, we've done these character studies uh, in the summers and, and a few, you know, for a few uh, short weeks at a time. So many of these names, if you were a part of those uh, sermons and listened to those, you would have recognized a lot of those names, right? But think about these names. Is there a pattern that you recognize in each pair? Right, the former, right, the first names that are listed, the former's names, their houses were built on a deep foundation of the rock so that when the flood came and the river crashed against their house, it didn't shape because it was well built. Didn't, say, didn't mean that they're all perfect but they had that foundation, that solid foundation. Now look at the ladder, right? Look at the second name in each pair. 
their house was built without a foundation so that when the river crashed against it, it immediately collapsed and the destruction of that house was great. So in the same way, right, think about these pairs of names. All the names that we listed first, that we see first in there, they strive to hear God's words and act on them. Right? We've been spending the last few weeks reading the red letters of Jesus. We've been looking at the words of Jesus to us. And these individuals, yeah, many of them are Old Testament uh, characters and they didn't know Jesus, but they heard God's word, they knew God's word, and they, they followed his words, his ways, and they acted on them. The names we listed secondly there, they might have heard God's word at some point in their life. But after rejecting that word and ignoring that word over and over and over and over again, soon they came to a point where they couldn't even hear those words anymore and they instead lived according to their will and their ways. Now, think about these names, right? Abel and Cain, Jacob and Esau, Joseph and his brothers, Moses and Pharaoh, Joshua and the spies, Samson and Delilah, David and Saul, Jonathan and Saul, Elijah and Ahab, Esther and Naaman, Peter and Jesus. I mean, even look through and study Proverbs. I mean, if, you, if you're not in a regular uh, pattern uh, or a habit of reading the word, here's a really easy way to get started, right? Today is what? Today is the 25th. So read Proverbs 25. Right, tomorrow is the 26th, right? So there's 31 Proverbs. Read Proverbs 26, right? And read the proverb that is according to that day. And what you'll do, what you'll notice after you do this for a month, you'll notice that just as you see these pairs of names, you'll actually see this duality, this pair of living one way versus the other. Right, all you have to do is read through any of those accounts or read through Proverbs and you'll begin noticing, hey, if I live my life according to my way, look at what will happen. I know a lot of times we think about, hey, don't touch the stove. You know, we tell our kids, don't touch the stove because it's going to burn you. Even though there's nothing on the element, we have, like an, we have an electric stove, and even though there's nothing on the element, there's that red light that tells you it's still hot. And we're like, kids, they know not to touch the boiling hot pan because it, it's smoking, Right? Right, there, there, there's steam coming out. But we're like, but don't, like, in fact, don't even ever touch the stove, but especially when you see that red light. And don't put paper on the toaster oven. You know, just, we just try to say things like this, even though no one, you, even though you didn't use the toaster oven this morning, just don't put anything on the toaster oven ever, because it's just not a good idea. Right, we say things like this, and we say it maybe out of experience, probably out of experience, but hopefully it wasn't your personal experience, it was someone else's experience that you learned from, right? Why do we want to, we, we don't, we want to save our kids from the hurt that we've experienced. But just someone telling you don't do it, we often do it because they said don't do it. But what happens is we read through those accounts of names, right? As we look through Proverbs, what will begin happening in our soul is it'll move from our head to our heart. It, it won't just be a don't do that. Well, why? I don't really know. I'm not gonna, hey, no, don't do that because you remember, and you'll remember the account from the scriptures. Let's get the names, the pairs of the names up again, please. Uh, we'll remember the account, 
right? So we'll be like, oh, yeah, when I get into a fight with my brothers, and there's a lot of those, but Joseph and his brothers, you know, I get into a fight with my siblings and they wronged me so much. And you read through Joseph and his brothers and you see the freedom that Joseph experienced. In fact, fact, imagine what would have happened if Joseph held on to that grudge with his brothers. Do you think his life would have turned out the way it did? Do you think God would have used him the way that God used him if he was living his life in that manner? Here's the fascinating thing, and, I, and I, I came across a video that was talking about the difference between hero. It was this guy who did, uh, drew for Marvel and DC Comics, and, and he was talking about villains and heroes and, and talking about the hero's journey. And it was just a fascinating little documentary where he was saying, hey, every hero uh, used to be normal. Right? And there was this journey that every normal person, in fact, down and out person that you never would have thought would be a hero, there's some sort of tension or moment in their life this, this t- that, that built up and they had to choose and they chose the hero's journey. Right? You think about this in a lot of the comics that we see, you know, you know, this hero and how they didn't, they weren't born as a hero, they had to figure that out. And as that hero became that hero, we see that there is actually a hero maker that came alongside them, Yoda with Luke Skywalker, right? There was always this person who mentored, who cared for, and who helped this individual move from a normal down and out individual into a hero. But here's the fascinating thing that stuck with me in this little documentary. He said that every villain used to be a hero. Every villain used to be a hero. But that hero, when they started to live their life for themselves, rather than helping others, and they started living for themselves, and they, were, and they would justify, no, I am doing this because I want to, and the, and, 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 and the, and the focus went from helping others to helping themselves, they made that transition from being a hero to a villain, right? When you look at the list of names, imagine how each and every one of these heroes could have become villains. And what Jesus is talking about here in Luke chapter six is that one day your foundation will be exposed. One day your foundation will be laid bare. That day will come. And people will either praise God or pity you. They'll either celebrate and call everyone around you blessed, or they'll look away and call everyone around you cursed. So what sort of life do you want to live? What's that aftermath that people will see in your life? Will they see a solid foundation that's weathered the storm? Or will they see nothing because your life has been gobbled up? Because there's actually no foundation there to begin with. Friends, it's not if a storm will come, it's when a storm comes. And as it says in John 15, 19, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. However, because you are not of the world, but I've chosen you out of it, the world hates you. In other words, Jesus is preparing us for the storms that will come when we truly follow him. It's not an if, it's a when. 
And the best way for us to prepare for these storms that will come is to actually do what Jesus says. That's what we've been talking about for these past few weeks as we've been looking at his words. Let's read his words. Let's obey his words. And let's live out his words through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Because when we do this, and when we take him for for what he says, and we live out what he says here, not according to our cultural sense of Christianity or what we think Christianity should be, but we throw all that out and we say, hey, actually, let's just read Jesus' words and do what he says. If we begin doing that, this is what Jesus says, then we'll be like the man. It's a promise. We'll be like the man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation right on the rock. And when the flood came, the river crashed against that house It couldn't shake because it was well built.